the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I had a great Palm Sunday. It wasn't quite the Palm Sunday I envisioned several weeks ago. But I enjoyed spending time with some believers from different fellowships online. Went outside and clipped a couple of palms and woke my mother up uh, with those palms um, reciting scripture. And we had a little time together. So it's, it's been a good, it was a good start to Holy Week. And I hope you had the same and you avail yourself of the tremendous resources. People just um, worshiping online and um, pastors making their sermons online, going to KPDQ and finding the community page where there are churches whose services are online, all kinds of opportunities. So while we are socially distancing from one another, we don't have to socially distance from God. So I hope you're pressing in at the start of Holy Week. Well, today on the program, we're going to talk with Wendy Pope. She is the author of Hidden Potential, Revealing What God Can Do Through You. The book is published by Cook, and she is a um, leader in the Proverbs 31 uh, women's ministry. So we're going to talk with her about why we as women so often compare ourselves to one another. It's such a common thing, and we often disqualify ourselves as being uh, potentially useful for ministry because we're aware of our own shortcomings. So we're going to talk with her about that in the second hour of today's program. But first, we'll wind our way through some of the news and try to bring you up to date on the latest regarding the coronavirus and our battle against it. Well, the president slammed complaining Democrat Governor Pritzker at a coronavirus briefing, rather, as officials braced Americans for the peak of the pandemic this and possibly next week, saying we hope we're seeing a Leveling off in the hottest spots of them all, President Trump revealing on Sunday evening that 1.67 million people have now been tested for coronavirus here in the U.S. as the light at the end of the tunnel emerges. However, he also made clear he felt some politicians have left their constituents down during the crisis. Illinois Governor uh, J.B. Pritzker, uh, in particular, was complaining all the time despite underperforming. The president charged at a briefing with the president's coronavirus task force. The two officials have sparred in recent days with the Democrat uh, accusing the White House of failing to provide all the ventilators he wanted. Well, earlier in the day on Sunday, Palm Sunday, U.S. Surgeon General Vice Admiral Jerome Adams issued a dire warning to Americans as the coronavirus outbreak has yet to hit its expected peak, but did offer a glimmer of hope in terms of when the situation could improve and how. Well, it's tragically fitting that we're talking at the beginning of Holy Week because this is going to be the hardest and the saddest week for most Americans' lives, quite frankly, a quote from the Surgeon General, comparing it to the historic national tragedies. This is going to be our Pearl Harbor moment, our 9-11 moment, only it's not going to be localized. It's going to be happening all over the country, and I want America to understand that, end quote. Well, it certainly is a sobering reminder of how serious 
this pandemic is. Well, the Surgeon General then explained that despite what has happened in China and Italy, American individuals and government officials have a power to change the trajectory of this epidemic. He pointed out to how an aggressive response can mean that an end could be in sight in the coming weeks, sooner rather than later. Also on Sunday's briefing, the president further signaled that he'd be open to governments, uh, to the government, sending out an additional round of stimulus checks to Americans, saying, I like the concept of it. He added that the current round of stimulus money should be distributed within two weeks. In other related developments, New York has its uh, first daily drop in coronavirus deaths, and British Prime Minister Boris Johnson was hospitalized after experiencing coronavirus symptoms. He's now in intensive care. More on that later. And an economist and expert on big data penned an op-ed in the New York Times on Sunday that said Google search terms may help health officials determine the next coronavirus hotspot. Seth Stevens um, Devadowich, a, a data scientist, wrote that searches for I can't smell increased in states like Louisiana and New York last week, two of the hardest hit states in the U.S. It's widely known that the loss of taste and smell is a key indicator of a coronavirus uh, virus infection. Steven Devadowitz, uh, he pointed out that um, Ecuadorians are making more searches related to the loss of smell than any other country in the world. Sort of an interesting way to uh, focus one's attention. And a Bronx Zoo tiger has tested positive for coronavirus. Uh, he's tested positive for the virus in what may be the first confirmed case of an animal being infected with the virus in the U.S. The tiger is a four-year-old female from Malaysia, officials say. Three other tigers and three African lions also had developed a dry cough and were expected to recover, according to the zoo, which has been closed to the public since the 16th of March. It's since been revealed that a worker there at the zoo was responsible for passing COVID-19 onto the uh, uh, the, the tiger, the National Veterinary Service Laboratory, confirmed the tiger was positive for COVID-19, but is doing well. On this day in history, 1896, the first modern Olympic Games formally opens in Athens, Greece. And in 1909, American explorer Robert Perry and Matthew Henson and four Inuits, whose names we apparently don't need to know, uh, became the first men to reach the North Pole. 1917, the United States enters World War I as the House joins the Senate in approving a declaration of war against Germany that is then signed by President Woodrow Wilson. 1994, Supreme Court Justice Harry Blackman, he announces his retirement after 24 years. And finally, on this day in history, 1998, the Dow Jones Industrial Average closes above 9,000 points for the first time, ending the day at 9,033.23. Well, we'll have some news on the Dow uh, here in just a moment. In fact, it uh, popped over 1,600 points on the coronavirus slowdown news and the new stimulus hopes. This is a new round of figure, uh, fiscal stimulus that could come sometime, if not late this month, next month. Can investors remain optimistic about the stock market? That's the question that many are pondering right now. Morgan Stanley is a, uh, emerging markets um, says that, yeah, optimism is on the rise. Uh, U.S. equity markets soared late Monday on chatter that a new uh, round of fiscal stimulus valued at $1.5 trillion could come by mid-May, uh, as reported. Uh, the report fueled a late-day surge that added to the strong gains that developed early in the session after new data showed COVID-19 could be slowing in some of the hardest-hit areas. The Dow Jones Industrial Average gained 1,627 points, or 7.7%, while the S&P 500 and NASDAQ Composite 
were higher by 7% and 7.3% respectively. Well, the number of new cases over the weekend in New York City, the U.S. epicenter for the virus, rose by 30.4% versus last week, down from 46.1% um, uh, jump the week prior. Well, as of Monday afternoon, the number of fatalities was effectively flat for the past two days. President Trump said at a press conference on Sunday that while there was light at the end of the tunnel, the next two weeks are going to be difficult. A daily update is set for 5 o'clock Eastern time virtually every day. COVID-19 has infected nearly 352,546 people in the United States and killed over 10,000, according to the latest figures provided by Johns Hopkins University in Medicine. More than 18,999 people have recovered as of Monday afternoon. So that's good news. People are recovering. Well, some health experts believe 30 percent, 30 percent of coronavirus patients are testing negative. From the story, the whole testing field is in flux. Bill Miller, a physician and epidemiologist at the Ohio State University, told the Wall Street Journal on Wednesday, the thing that is different this time is most of these tests are going through a really rapid validation process. As a result, we can't be completely confident in how they will perform. That doesn't exactly inspire confidence. The president says the U.S. will be will have tested 1.67 million people. Meanwhile, he discussed how FEMA is going to help in the Washington Examiner. And Spain and Italy are now seeing a drop in the number of deaths in their countries. Washington state is sending ventilators to New York as things improve there. And Oregon has also sent ventilators to the state of New York. The World Health Organization is now facing greater scrutiny. This has been a building story. The coronavirus pandemic will offer many lessons in what to do better to save more lives and do less economic harm the next time. Hmm. But there's already one way to ensure future pandemics are less deadly, reform or defund the World Health Organization. That's a suggestion by the Wall Street Journal. And the uh, head of the organization explains how the dependence on China had nothing to do with Trump. Hmm, the New York Post, you'll find that there. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue to wind our way through some of the relevant news and headlines. Later in the 5 o'clock hour, we'll talk with Wendy Pope, author of Hidden Potential, Revealing What God Can Do Through You. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on this Monday afternoon. Also looking forward to a conversation with Wendy Pope, her latest book, Hidden Potential, Revealing What God Can Do Through You. She is a speaker with Proverbs 31 Ministries and contributes to the P31 online devotional encouragement for today, which reaches over a million people every day. She's the author of several books. We'll be talking about one of them in the five o'clock hour today. But we're continuing to take our look at uh, some of the developing news stories from the last several days. California is going to send virus patients to nursing homes, which seems a bit questionable if you consider the vulnerability of those in nursing homes. But as part of a struggle to clear out ICU beds in California to make room for swelling numbers of COVID-19 patients, the California Department of Public Health has ordered all skilled nursing uh, homes to take in patients regardless of their COVID-19 status. Considering the brutal death toll at other nursing homes where the virus has taken hold, this has a lot of the staff of nursing homes around the state understandably upset, not to mention uh, their uh, tenants and the families. Um, And if that isn't enough, the state is also sending homeless into hotel rooms, which has upset some of those in nursing homes. 
California police arrested a man for paddleboarding on the ocean. Apparently that's not allowed there. And a 19-year-old woman was fined in Pennsylvania for taking a drive. Sheltering in place is being taken very seriously. Well, the president said he's prepared to give more to small businesses should the stimulus not be enough. There's a great concern about what the global economy will do to the poorest of the poor, such uh, as in the case of Africa. Well, as mentioned, Boris Johnson, the British prime minister, has been admitted to the hospital. He's now in intensive care. He has coronavirus. I think he's in his 11th day. And they say this is precautionary. At least that's what they said initially. Another Spanish flu survivor beats coronavirus. He's 104. And a detailed look at concerns of Americans during this pandemic. We'll take that up later in today's program. Well, Prospective um, Democrat candidate Joe Biden says Trump should do things he's already did or he already did. The story also reminds us when Trump banned all flights to and from China, Biden called him a xenophobe. Now he's saying that Trump acted too slowly. I want to get the story straight. Guy Benson points out that so there's going to gaslight us by claiming Biden's xenophobia comments day and day after China travel restrictions had nothing to do with that policy and now gaslight us by saying Biden wanted the restrictions sooner. Plenty of criticisms for Fed response, but this is malarkey. Hmm. Um, And the Washington Examiner reports Biden appears to have picked up the endorsement of um, the far-left Elizabeth Warren, although you could barely hear the peep that confirmed that. And Mark Cuban is suddenly mulling a run for president. A little late, but he's thinking about it. Cuban chatted with Dan Crenshaw over the weekend. Well, the USS Roosevelt sailors thought they escaped the pandemic, but they didn't. And certainly the captain, as we've recently learned, did not either. It was a bit scary because we were looking at the news, seeing that it had changed America and thinking we could be an episode of The Last Ship, said a Roosevelt sailor referring to the dystopian television series about a lone Navy ship that escapes a worldwide pandemic. But after some of the 5,000 crew members began to test positive, The mood darkened, according to accounts provided by sailors and their relatives. And as I mentioned, the captain of that vessel, who was recently ousted, has now tested positive for coronavirus himself. David Benham was arrested for protesting abortion. The story reminds us that Benham is a Christian entrepreneur and former professional baseball player. He gained media attention after he and his brother Jason, his twin brother, their reality HDTV show was canceled over the brother's religious views. He tweeted, we support taking every precaution during COVID-19. This is why we maintained our social distance while protesting at the, or at least being present at the abortion clinic. Um, They stayed under uh, 10 in number and stayed socially distanced as recommended by at least authorities. We are not belligerent. We simply stood our ground. Well, and that apparently will cost him. Well, the United States has passed a grim milestone today as the death toll from the coronavirus. COVID-19 surpassed more than 10,300 and confirmed infections from COVID-19 exceeded 347,000. On Sunday, Surgeon General Jerome Adams said this week would be the hardest and the saddest time for most American lives. New York, New Orleans, and Los Angeles are among the hardest-hit American cities. The news comes as Asian countries across the world brace for a second surge of infections. Uh, In Europe, some nations showed signs that aggressive restrictions were helping slow the spread of COVID-19, flattening that curve that we hear so much about. In Oregon, one new death uh, as known cases pass 1,000. 
The Oregon Health Authority reported 69 new cases of COVID-19 on Sunday, bringing the total number of confirmed cases in Oregon up to 1,068. Officials also reported one new death, bringing the state's total number of deaths to 27 as of 8 a.m. on Sunday. The most recent person to die of COVID-19 was a 62-year-old woman in Multnomah County, officials say. She tested positive on Thursday and died at home on the same day. The Oregon Health Authority said it doesn't know if she had underlying medical conditions. The new cases um, were reported in the following counties, Clackamas 6, Columbia 3, Klamath 1, Lane 3, Lynn 2, 10 deaths in Marion County, 24 in Multnomah, or I should say um, cases, let me clarify that, 2 in Polk County, 1 in Sherman, Umatilla had 2, Washington 12, and Yam Hill 3. These are new cases that have been reported. The counties with the most cases are in the Portland area, Washington County now with 259 cases, and Multnomah County with 233. Other counties are reporting large numbers as well. Marion has 198 cases and Clackamas County 84. Lynn County has 43 cases, Deschutes County 39, Jackson 33, Lane County 27 reported cases according to state officials and 28 according to county officials. Yamhill County has 26, Polk County 24, Benton has 19, Klamath 15, Josephine County 13, Douglas 11. There are others, but we won't bore you with any more details. So far, Oregon has tested 20,624 people. Of those, 19,556 have come back negative. Now, let me repeat that because that gives us some perspective. That doesn't mean everyone's been tested, but among those who have been, the vast majority uh, came back negative. 20,624 people have been tested. 19,556 have come back negative. Now, are those um, tests reliable? Uh, In many cases, people are encouraged to continue to maintain the standards that have been set for all of us because the tests are not 100% reliable, but they do give us at least some idea of what's happening in the state of Oregon. Governor State uh, Kate Brown announced on Saturday that she would be sending 140 ventilators to hard-hit New York. At this stage, uh, she said, in Oregon, our social distancing measures are helping to ensure that our hospitals have enough ventilators for our current number of COVID-19 patients. The governor's uh, press secretary, Charles Boyle, told the Oregonian that if Oregon later finds itself in need of ventilators, New York and other states will respond to our call for assistance. Well, TriMet has cut service in response to sharp ridership declines because of COVID-19 crisis. That started on Sunday. The regional transit agency reports ridership has dropped nearly 50 percent since February because schools have closed, businesses have shut down, and Oregon Governor Kate Brown has ordered everyone to stay home except for essential trips. As we all work to slow the spread of COVID-19, we're glad that so many of you are now staying home and off the transit. But this decreased ridership comes at a cost. And we're facing some difficult decisions. That's a quote from the general manager, Doug Kelsey. But I want you to know that TriMet will not stop fulfilling our essential role, providing transportation for our customers and community. According to TriMet, the agency took a compassionate, equitable and balanced approach to determine how best to reduce service based on demand, while also serving the needs of our community and maintaining as much service as possible for those who must travel for essential purposes. Priority was uh, placed on preserving access to hospitals and major health care providers, as well as major employment centers. Uh, changes that took place if, and uh, were effective on Sunday. Uh, we'll see adjustments um, on 58 of TriMet's bus lines, or 68 percent. 
Uh, Bus line adjustments were roughly built off TriMet's current Saturday service schedule. No line will be more than uh, an hour between buses. Bus lines will, uh, with weekend service will run on Sunday schedules all weekend long, and all max lines will continue to run their full routes every 15 minutes throughout the majority of the weekday. Finally, max trains will run on Sunday schedules both Saturday and Sundays, and the west trains will run every 45 minutes instead of every 30 minutes as single vehicles. Lyft paratransit service will continue as an on-demand service, and um, Portland Streetcar has altered its weekday a service to run on weekend uh, schedules with streetcars running every 20 minutes instead of more often. So check your uh, local listings for more details, but that's just a brief overview of the changes you can expect. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. During the break, we have new figures from the state of Oregon. Apparently, there have been two additional deaths. That's in addition to the uh, death I mentioned earlier in the program, a 62-year-old woman in Multnomah County. Uh, these two additional deaths, a 93-year-old in Washington County, a 70-year-old in Marion County, and 64 new cases reported for the state of Oregon. And that uh, those numbers are changing uh, daily, certainly, but sometimes hourly as well. Well, state and county health officials struggled in the early weeks of Oregon's coronavirus outbreak to identify, to contact and monitor everyone in close proximity to the known COVID-19 uh, patients. Top public health officials acknowledged last week in interviews with the Oregonian. Well, the weeks before the, pre- the uh, governor rather issued a stay at home order, that was the 23rd of March, It marked a crucial opportunity to slow the spread. It identified people potentially exposed to the confirmed infection and to tell them to stay home. But the health officials in charge didn't communicate with all Oregonians who had a positive test, let alone all those who were in close connection with them. Well, after publicly touting the monitoring system as a way to keep tabs on the spread of the virus and to help protect people, state officials uh, rather quickly stopped reporting a key set of tracking numbers without explanation. Well, state health officials now won't say how many people were ultimately traced and placed under monitoring or how many of those people from early weeks were asked to isolate at home. Shannon Litke, for example, still had not heard from public health officials. Litke said she tested positive for COVID-19 last month, but never received a phone call from state or county officials asking for a list of people she could have unknowingly affected, uh, who in turn could have spread the virus to others. Litke is a registered nurse. She provides hospice care for dying Oregonians. Maybe I feel fell rather through the cracks, she said. I don't know. I was su- surprised no one followed up. Well, that Oregon's tracking system became overwhelmed so quickly, foreshadowed the challenges when coronavirus cases eventually started falling, giving the state and the nation a second chance to control the highly communicable virus before it rebounded. Dr. Paul um, Sislak, Oregon's medical director for communicable diseases, acknowledged that many counties lacked the resources to keep up their monitoring cases, and the cases grew. State officials privately dialed back expectations for the county health department sometime in March, and this week said monitoring is generally no longer required. It's sort of been an accumulating consensus as we were here uh, from as we hear from more county health departments that they're getting overwhelmed. They're not able to follow up on cases. Washington County, for example, was hit very hard. In many ways, Oregon is no different than other states overtaken by rising infections and the stark reality that the coronavirus was too widespread to contain through traditional public health defenses. At some point, 
Sisliak said aggressively identifying people for monitoring is no longer worthwhile given how many people are becoming infected from unknown sources. Now, of course, we all know um, what we ought to do if we're found to be um, infected or if we suspect that we might have been. If there's a much larger number of undiagnosed patients out there, then what are we uh, really accomplishing by following up on the handful that we tend to hear about? It's unclear, Sisliak says, what impact Oregon's tracing efforts and associated challenges ultimately had on efforts to suppress the coronavirus. So the county health systems were, like so many others, behind in trying to respond to all of this. Now, I use the word advisably because I think we live in the 21st century where we expect things to be provided for us instantly. We pop something in the microwave, we pick up the phone, we log on to our uh, computers, we look something up, and in a matter of seconds, we have what we want. The expectation is that we have sufficient resource everywhere to provide all of our needs. I'm not talking about uh, the one who provides ultimately all of our needs. We expect that government and health systems just have things sitting around and people waiting for this kind of event to take place. So I think we need to cut them a little slack because this is a very unusual thing and they're trying apparently as hard as they can to uh, catch up. Well, Governor Brown's uh, decision to interfere with online charter public schools while they have uh, been successfully educating students during the crisis has made national headlines. It was mentioned on Town Hall, Forbes, and the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Oregon has canceled, according to the Wall Street Journal, canceled public school classes amid the pandemic, but political self-interest never sleeps. The Oregon Education Association and its labor allies are now blocking hundreds of children from continuing their education at virtual public charter schools. As of the 1st of October, more than 14,000 children already attended Oregon's 19 virtual public charters and received the bulk of their education remotely. But when brick-and-mortar schools closed on the 16th of March to limit the spread of the coronavirus, Oregon parents clamored to transfer their children to the online schools. Well, Monday was the first day at Oregon Connections Academy, the state's largest virtual public charter, for 7th grader Natalie Ritter and her 5th grade brother Lincoln. Their mother, Stephanie Ritter, says the ability to transfer them was a godsend, though it was heart-wrenching to leave behind beloved teachers and classmates, who, by the way, are not in those classrooms and probably won't be through the end of the school year. Well, Mrs. Ritter and her husband, they work full-time. They don't have hours a day to teach their children at home. Attending school online will help them not just learn but feel connected. Uh, Not having that as an option just means that Uh, We would have had to put more faith in the Oregon schools figuring that out. And I think they're working on it, but we just uh, don't have the luxury to wait. Well, many parents no longer have the luxury of charter school either. Well, like Natalie and Lincoln, some 300 students successfully transferred in mid-March to Oregon Connections Academy alone. And the teachers unions were alarmed by this mass exodus from public schools, which, of course, were not meeting in public. Well, under pressure from the unions, the Oregon Department of Education stopped allowing transfers on the 27th of March. And at Oregon Connections Academy, this uh, this means some 1,600 students. This is just one charter school. Some 1,600 students who had sought to transfer won't be able to. Uh, Jeff uh, Croft, the school's founder and president of the board of directors, points out, It could be worse. The State Department of Education originally contemplated closing down virtual public charters along with the brick-and-mortar schools across the the state. According to a March 24th PowerPoint presentation reviewed by uh, by Willamette Week, even during a national crisis, unions would rather deprive students of an education than see their charter school competitors succeed. Again, from the Wall Street Journal, drawing attention to a decision made by Oregon's 
governor. Well, President Trump on Friday announced that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is recommending Americans wear facial coverings made of cloth while out in public to help stop the spread of coronavirus. Now, this is a reversal of what we had heard before. The president repeatedly called it voluntary and said he wouldn't do it himself. The change in guidelines signals a major shift in how officials are looking to combat the spread of COVID-19, particularly if people refuse to self-quarantine. The president, during a briefing with the White House Coronavirus Task Force, said the recommendation is being made because of studies indicating asymptomatic people are spreading the virus. You have it. You don't know you have it, but you're spreading it to others. In light of these studies, the CDC is advising the use of non-medical cloth face coverings as an additional voluntary public health measure. So it's voluntary. You don't have to do it, but it's being recommended. The president went on to say, I don't think I'm going to do it. He said he can't imagine himself sitting in the Oval Office of the White House behind that beautiful, resolute desk wearing a mask. In a Friday statement, the CDC said the virus can spread between people interacting in close proximity, for example, speaking, coughing, or sneezing, even if those people are not exhibiting symptoms. In light of this new evidence, CDC recommends wearing cloth face coverings in public settings where other social distancing measures are difficult to maintain, in the grocery store and at pharmacies, for example, especially in areas of significant community-based transmission. Well, for weeks, the general public was advised by both the administration and the CDC, as well as the World Health Organization, that only those who were ill or had underlying health issues should wear the masks and that the surgical mask and the N95 protective gear should be reserved for healthcare workers. But Dr. Jerome Adams, the Surgeon General, said during the briefing they've evolved on the issue because of the number of asymptomatic people who may be spreading coronavirus. He pleaded with Americans who are not sick to leave the N94 and surgical masks for medical professionals and instead make homemade cloth coverings if they decide to use them. And by the way, you can find patterns all over the Internet how to make your own that are sufficient to provide the kind of coverage that the average person needs when they're in the grocery store, when they're at the pharmacy. Meanwhile, the Pentagon has uh, mandated, this is on Sunday, that everyone at Defense Department facilities cover their faces in an event uh, to, in an effort rather, to stop the spread of uh, COVID-19. Effective immediately, to the extent practical, all individuals at the Department of Defense properties, installations, and facilities will wear cloth face coverings when they cannot maintain six feet of social distance in public areas or work centers. That's from uh, Mark Esper, the defense secretary, in a memo to Pentagon officials. So it is official there and not so official for us. But if you're going out, we are now being advised to wear some kind of face covering. And again, you can find all kinds of patterns online or just use a scarf so that you look like a bandit from the from the boys from the days of the cowboys. You're listening to the Georgine Rice show. Quick break and we will be back, so stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice show on this Monday afternoon. First weekday of Holy Week. Well, the coronavirus pandemic has ravaged the majority of the world, upending nearly every facet of life, and researchers are racing to find a cure or at least a treatment. However, newly published studies suggest researchers may have found what's been described as its Achilles heel, if you can imagine such a thing. Well, the research shows that a specific portion of the virus could be targeted with vaccines after they mapped a human antibody's interaction with SARS-CoV-2 at, at uh, near atomic scale resolution. Now, you may understand what all that meant, but that's according to a statement from Scripps Research. 
Well, the antibody was taken from a SARS patient from several years ago, but it interacts with SARS-CoV-2 as well. Uh, The knowledge of conserved sites like this can uh, aid in structure-based design of vaccines and therapeutics against SARS-CoV-2, and these would also protect against other coronaviruses, including those that may emerge in the future. That's what the study's lead author, Dr. Ian Wilson, said in a statement. Now, I have to admit, I don't comprehend all of what he's trying to say, but it sounds encouraging. Wilson, speaking with the San Diego Tribune, described the area of the virus as a possible Achilles eel. Uh, heel. Rather, Unfortunately, the virus flaw is difficult to find, adding to the mystery, the researcher said. We found that this region is usually hidden inside the virus and only exposed when that part of the virus changes its structure, as it would in natural infection. That's a quote from the co-author. Well, Scripps Research said it's actively seeking out uh, recovered COVID-19 patients who are willing to donate their blood to screen their potential antibodies. Uh, The study has been published in the journal Science, if you're interested in more detail and if you have a a head for that kind of detail. The president says there's light at the end of the tunnel after grim warnings about the uh, coronavirus death toll. He tweeted on Monday that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, which, of course, we all expect there will be following a series of grim warnings about this week's expected death toll from the coronavirus or COVID-19. The president also tweeted USA strong exclamation point. The president uh, had warned over the weekend that this week will probably be the toughest, this and possibly next, if the Surgeon General is uh, also to be believed. World Health Organization Director General Tedros Aldenman uh, is facing uh, growing calls for his resignation from the American uh, from American politicians, rather, and other leaders worldwide amid criticism that he has downplayed China's role in the eruption of the coronavirus. Again, he is the World Health Organization Director General. As many as 4,000 seriously ill coronavirus patients in New York reportedly are being treated with the anti-malarial drug hydroxychloroquine, which uh, the president and others have touted as a potential life state saver. It doesn't cure, but it does lessen the symptoms. Still, one Democratic state representative in Ohio vowed to refer the president to the International Criminal Court for Crimes Against Humanity because the drug has not been conclusively proven to fight coronavirus. That, of course, would take considerable length of time. U.S. equity markets soared on Monday morning as the spread of COVID-19 cases showed signs of possibly slowing down in New York, the U.S. epicenter of the outbreak. Meanwhile, New Hampshire, the number of cases spiked over the weekend, representing what is the largest increase in cases in the state to date, according to local reports. And British Prime Minister Boris Johnson said he was in good spirits on Monday after being hospitalized for treatment of the virus over the weekend. However, He's now in intensive care. He is conscious from what we uh, uh, understand, but is uh, receiving additional treatment. And several other developments. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer and President Trump's newly installed Chief of Staff Mark Meadows discussed appointing a czar to oversee production and distribution of medical supplies and equipment to help combat the, no, uh, the novel coronavirus. And nearly two dozen people were issued citations watching the sunset and having picnics near the beach on Friday in violation of California's stay-at-home order, according to state officials. Texas police are looking for a woman who claimed on Snapchat to have tested positive for COVID-19 and was willfully spreading it. And the coronavirus outbreak has sparked a record surge in Bible purchases, according to a top Christian publisher. 
America Together, Washington State, will return more than 400 of the 500 ventilators it received from the federal government so they can be used in New York and other states, including Oregon, in their struggle against the coronavirus. Governor Jay Inslee announced Oregon having sent uh, respirators to the state of New York as well. One of the questions I'm seeing emerge in all of this is, is it safe to go to the supermarket with a coronavirus outbreak? Well, most businesses are closed to prevent the spread of COVID-19, but supermarkets, they've been considered essential businesses for good reason. They provide millions of people with food and supplies as the majority of people remain in their home during the outbreak. Now, Dan Rice and I went to the grocery store yesterday, and I have to say, in the Fred Meyer that we were shopping, people were very uh, aware of their um, distance from other shoppers. People were very polite. We waited for one another in order to maintain that six feet uh, separation. Many, if not most, wore face masks. But people seemed to be very aware of the precarious position we were all in and the potential that we had to infect one another. So I was quite pleased. But is it safe in general? Well, the next two weeks, according to White House Coronavirus Response Coordinator Deborah Burks in a press conference on Saturday, the next two weeks are extraordinarily important. This is the moment to not be going to the grocery store, not going to the pharmacy, but going, um, but doing everything we can to keep our family and our friends safe. So if you haven't already done so, um, she's suggesting that this and the next week are critical and It's best to not do those things if you can avoid them. And while supermarkets aren't the safest place to go right now because of social distancing concerns, there are ways to keep customers as safe as possible when traveling to stock up on necessary amounts of food or supplies. Now, we were going to stop at another store, a new seasons in our neighborhood, and literally the line was out the door. People were dutifully distanced from one another, six feet apart, waiting for their turn to enter the store. They were monitoring the number of people in the store to make it possible to maintain social distancing. We decided not to go in because we didn't have time to wait in what was a very long line. But I appreciated the efforts that were being made to protect the public and certainly their employees. Dr. Mark Siegel said on Tuesday that he prefers constant hand sanitizing over wearing gloves during the supermarket trips. He says gloves accumulate germs, gloves accumulate viruses. Uh, And he's referring uh, apparently to plastic gloves. He was responding to a viewer's question on whether wearing gloves at the grocery store was necessary or helpful. He says you're going to not even realize when you touch something that you have on the gloves. Then you transfer it to your face. Then Uh, you can get infected. And of course, if you're talking about produce or other things or the packaging, you can spread it in that way. He says that washing your hands thoroughly is the best way to disinfect after making certain necessarily trips to the supermarket. And he added that if you do wear gloves, take them off without touching the outside of your bare hands. Those precautions come after the National Institutes of Health, the CDC, UCLA, and Princeton University scientists. They found that viruses can remain infectious in droplets in the air for hours and surfaces for days. Now, the study in the New England Journal of Medicine last month also suggested that people may get the virus after touching contaminated objects. Uh, For example, in my home, I don't let my mother um, unload. We shopped for her yesterday. She doesn't take the groceries out of the bag. I do that for her. Uh, She doesn't open her mail. I do that for her, very carefully removing the the contents of the mail without touching them so that she can then read her mail without worrying about what might be on the outside of it. Now, she's 89. Uh, I'm concerned for her because of her age and uh, vulnerability. She also has asthma. 
So I'm, I'm extra careful. I wash my hands um, incessantly when I'm going to her apartment, when I'm in her apartment, when I'm leaving her apartment. I take her temperature every day to see if there's any elevation at all. I'm monitoring if she has any flu-like symptoms or anything that might indicate that she is, uh, is unwell. I ask her that even after the mail has been, the contents of the mail has been emptied out and she's reading it, if she would sanitize or wash her hands immediately following. Just being very careful because we, we learn that this stuff can remain on surfaces and I would rather be overprotective than, uh, to, than be careless. So the scientists found that severe acute respiratory syndrome, coronavirus 2, was detectable in aerosols for up to three hours, up to four hours on copper, up to 24 hours on cardboard, and up to two to three days on plastic and stainless steel. So beware. Well, the Food and Drug Administration said last month there is uh, currently no evidence of food or food packaging uh, being associated with the transmission of COVID-19 although uh, Dr. Siegel cautioned that the virus can live on frozen and refrigerated food containers even more effectively than on produce. So we all need to be extremely careful. It may seem foolish. It may seem excessive. But for the sake of others, and I suppose for our own sake, just take whatever precautions we can to prevent ourselves from contracting the virus and certainly passing it on to others. All right, we're going to take a break. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour. Also want to remind you in the five o'clock hour, we're going to talk with Wendy Pope, her book, Hidden Potential, Revealing What God Can Do Through You, especially those of us who tend to think, ah, he could never use me given my particular background or my failures. So we're going to talk about that. By the way, Wendy Pope is a speaker with Proverbs 31 Ministries and contributes to their online devotional encouragement for today. Quick break, news and traffic. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up later this hour, I'm looking forward to a conversation with Wendy Pope. She's the author of Hidden Potential, Revealing What God Can Do Through You. The book is published by Pope. Uh, Wendy Pope, I should say the book is published by Cook. Wendy Pope, the author, is a speaker with Proverbs 31 Ministries. She contributes to their online devotional encouragement for today. She's also the author of several books. Well, in other non-COVID-19 related news, the U.S. Supreme Court on Monday upheld a warrantless traffic stop by a sheriff's deputy in Kansas that was conducted based on information that the car's owner's license had been revoked. Uh, Charles Glover, um, he claimed that the deputy did not have the required reasonable suspicion to pull him over because all he did was run the truck's license plate and didn't know before the stop that the vehicle's owner, Glover, was the one driving. In an eight-to-one decision authored by Justice Clarence Thomas, the court held that police acted properly. We hold that when the officer lacks information, negating and interference that the owner is the driver of the vehicle, the stop is reasonable. He wrote saying that the deputy, Mark Merrer, reasonably inferred that um, that Glover was the one driving the car. Well, the Kansas Supreme Court had ruled in Glover's favor, claiming that the stop was based on a hunch that the driver of the truck was the owner. But the U.S. Supreme Court held that mayor, the driver, um, or rather that the police officer's belief was more reasonable than just a hunch and a common sense inference. The fact that the registered owner of a vehicle is not always the driver of the vehicle does not negate the reasonableness of Deputy Mayor's inference, uh, Clarence Thomas said. Justices Elena Kagan and uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg 
um, pointed out that the fact that the truck's owner had a revoked license means that it was no longer a common sense assumption that the owner was driving, but still agreed that Mirror had reasonable suspicion. The Washington Post's Sean Sullivan reports that a small group of Bernie Sanders' top aides and allies, including his campaign manager and his longtime strategist, have encouraged the independent senator from Vermont to consider withdrawing from the presidential race. That's according to two people with knowledge of the situation, according to the Washington Post. The group includes campaign manager Faiz Shakir, Representative Pamela Jayapal, a top Sanders surrogate and ally, according to the people, uh, who spoke on condition of anonymity to describe sensitive private discussions, which they probably should not be discussing. Sanders himself has become more open to the prospect of dropping out, according to one of the people with knowledge of the situation and another ally, especially if he suffers a significant defeat, uh, defeat rather, in Tuesday's Wisconsin primary. Yes, there's a primary on Tuesday, which polls suggest Joe Biden will win handily. Beyond Shakir and Jayapal, longtime strategist Jeff Weaver has privately made a case that, it, that exiting the race more quickly and on good terms with Biden would give Sanders more leverage in the long run, according to one of the people. The other said Weaver has used a light touch in presenting his case. Weaver and Jayapal did not return calls to clarify if, in fact, um, these accounts were accurate. Uh, Bernie Sanders has not made a final decision, the people said. The other close allies have privately urged him to keep running, such as National Campaign Co-Chair Nina Turner, while Representative uh, Rashida Tlaib is also said in favor of him remaining in the race, although there's not really much of a race at this point. Larry Cohen, a longtime ally who chairs a nonprofit aligning aligned with Sanders, rather, is uh, waging a public campaign for him to stay in until the Democratic National Convention, which you might recall has now been postponed until August. Well, President Trump has fired Michael Atkinson. He's the inspector general for the U.S. intelligence community who alerted Congress to concerns about the president's telephone call with the president of Ukraine, a matter that led to the president of the United States impeachment last year. The president, Trump, finally notified the intelligence committee on both the Senate and the House in a letter dated Friday. House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff posted the letter online. This is to advise that I am exercising my power as president to remove from office the inspector general of the intelligence community effective 30 days from today, the president wrote. It is extremely important that we promote the economy, efficiency, and the effectiveness of federal programs and activities. The inspector generals have a critical role in the achievement of these goals, the president continued, as is the case with regard to other positions where I, as president, have the power of appointment by and with the advice and consent of the Senate. It is vital that I have the fullest confidence in the appointees serving as inspector general. That is no longer the case with regard to this inspector general, end quote. Well, the president added that he would nominate a replacement who has my full confidence and who meets the appropriate qualifications at a later time. Hmm. Uh, not surprisingly, Democrats reacted. Leaning uh, Democrats quickly criticized the president's action. In a statement, Adam Schiff claimed the move puts the country at even greater risk. Michael Horowitz, chairman of the uh, Council of the Inspectors General in Integrity and Efficiency and the Inspector General of the Department of Justice, criticized removal of Atkinson and defended his handling of the Ukraine case. Inspector General Atkinson is known throughout the Inspector General community for his integrity, professionalism and commitment to the rule of law and independent oversight, Horowitz told the AP. Well, in January, um, Atkinson was being investigated by Republican members of the House Intelligence Committee for his handling of the Ukraine matter, which began with a complaint filed by an unidentified 
uh, whistleblower. Last August, he received a complaint from someone who raised concerns about Trump and his telephone call, which I won't review all of the details regarding. Well, Democrats argued that the president had tied the investigation request to the withholding of U.S. military aid from Ukraine. The rest, of course, is history. The House ultimately impeached the president on charges of abuse of power and obstruction of justice, or rather obstruction of Congress. But the Senate acquitted the president on charges uh, of those charges in February. Meanwhile, a new national survey about the worldview of Americans shows that although seven out of 10 consider themselves Christian, seven out of 10 would self-identify as Christian, just 6% actually possess a biblical worldview. Now, the groundbreaking inaugural American Worldview Inventory 2020 was conducted by veteran researcher George Barna of the recently launched Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. A pioneer in the field of worldview research, Barna called it the most sophisticated survey of worldview ever conducted in the United States. Among the key findings, only one-fifth of those attending evangelical Protestant churches, or 21%, have a biblical worldview, as compared to one-sixth of those attending charismatic or Pentecostal churches. The study finds even smaller proportions in mainline Protestant churches or Catholic churches, 16% of uh, Pentecostal or charismatic churches, 8% among mainline Protestant, 1% in Catholic churches. Well, it's a rather interesting um, uh, survey. The fact that fewer than one out of uh, five born-again adults self-identified hold a biblical worldview highlights the extensive decline of core Christian principles in America, Barna observed. Among the differentiating factors between the new study and previous research, he noted, is the more robust measurement of action. In the American Worldview Inventory, this latest study, we measure not just beliefs, but also the application of those beliefs, our behavior, because people do what they believe. If you truly believe something, you integrate it into how you live, and your lifestyle reflects those beliefs. Well, as a result, the research always balances examining both what we believe to be true with how we translate such beliefs into action, Varna says. Well, the disturbing results from this new research emphasize the importance of carefully measuring and intentionally developing the biblical worldview, especially among younger people. The Cultural Research Center that conducts strategic cultural research through a collaborative effort of the the faculty and staff at Arizona Christian University is uh, facilitating cultural transformation in America through worldview education. The center is the only institute conducting this kind of nationwide worldview research and is using those studies as the foundation for creating new resources for worldview training. But again, the American Worldview Inventory 2020, conducted by Barna, and you can find more details about that online. Uh, Disappointing, and I wish I had more time to go into how they arrived at uh, whether or not one's worldview was consistent with one's actions, but nonetheless, um, that gives you at least uh, some idea of how they determined uh, whether or not the Christian community embraced a biblical worldview. Finally, Wycliffe Associates has released a new translation of the New Testament in a new concept-based language that deaf and blind people across the globe can begin learning in less than a week. Uh, The new notation is called SUN, S-U-N, Symbolic Universal Notation, and it's a symbolic representation of the words in Scripture developed by Wycliffe Associates, a prominent Bible translation organization over the course of the last four years. Sun aims to provide a pathway to Christ for millions of deaf and blind people who have no other way of effectively communicating with the world. 
This is the first that I've seen or heard of anything like this in Bible translation. The program director of Sun says of this now completed project. Uh, Basically, what we have done is take the New Testament and broken it down into the main concepts of each of the verses and each of the chapters for each concept we have created a symbol, a new language created to bring the gospel to millions of deaf and blind people worldwide. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we'll talk with Wendy Pope. Her book is titled Hidden Potential. Yeah, you have some, whether or not you recognize it. And the subtitle, Revealing What God Can Do Through You. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. And as promised, I've been looking forward to this conversation. We're going to talk with Wendy Pope here in just a moment. Her latest book is titled Hidden Potential, Revealing What God Can Do Through You. Now, I love the phrase hidden potential because I think that potential is hidden in plain sight. But we strain to see that God has given each one of us potential to be used for his glory. Well, she is an author and speaker. She's a Proverbs 31 Ministries Bible teacher. She is convinced that every part of our experience can be an ingredient in our hidden potential. We habitually compare our insides to another's outside to determine our value and sum up our potential. That is such a true statement. If God's plan isn't to fix the things that have uh, fractured women's faith, but instead to show his power through life's difficulties. Well, her book is titled Hidden Potential. She looks at the reasons women continually compare themselves to one another, and she touches all aspects of a woman's life. Uh, If women are willing to pause for a moment, put the comparison list down, and listen to the answer that God gives in his word, they're going to discover a life-changing way to think about themselves. Well, Wendy Pope is a speaker with Proverbs 31 Ministries and contributes to P31 Online Devotional Encouragement for Today, which teaches over one million people daily. She is the author of several books, including Wait and See and Yes, No, and Maybe. She teaches thousands of women worldwide online through the One Year Chronological Bible and lives with her family in North Carolina. And we are delighted to welcome Wendy Pope. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for inviting me back. I appreciate it. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you. I have to ask you before we start, how are you and your family doing under this new normal? Well, it's crazy as it sounds. This new normal is our normal normal, if that makes sense. My husband and I both (laughs) work outside of our home. So Uh besides the fact of going to the store and the shelves being empty, it's really not been that different for us. Um, My daughter and my son both are adults and they, young adults, and they still live with us and they both have essential jobs. So they are getting up and going to work like normal. So we have not seen that huge of an impact on our normal normal. Um, So I I can't say that it's, it's hurt us in any way. Uh, but it is it is very difficult to look at people's circumstances around our country um, and and not feel grief and sorrow. We certainly feel yeah, that absolutely. for our country um, and our yeah. community. We just in our small community we just had five cases over mm-hmm. the last week. So um, it's right. I mean, it's like right on the next road from us, which is you know kind of shocking. That something from China came all the way, you know, all the way to a little town five miles. It doesn't even have a stoplight, you know. Um, <laughs> so our hearts and prayers have definitely been hurting for uh, 
and and we have been praying for our country and our leaders, yeah. our president. I know he's whether you voted for him or not, he's in charge and he's carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders, and he needs our prayers. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, your book is titled Hidden Potential. Um, what made you feel compelled to write this book? I mean, I think I could answer that question because I think it's so necessary. But what motivated you to write uh, two women about their hidden potential? Well, honestly, this message unfolded all on its own. I, I, it was It's funny because when you were talking in the intro, you said hidden in plain sight. I love the way that you, that you said that, um, our potential is hidden in plain sight. This message was hidden in plain sight, honestly. I had taught. Um, on Moses at a church in Michigan at a conference um, and just fell in love with the, not that I didn't love Moses before, but the context of the idea of being a worthwhile possibility, that that mm. phrase became our phrase for the weekend. And when I went back the next year, those women still remembered that phrase, worthwhile possibility. And so when I was contracted by David C. Cook to write this book, um, I really hadn't planned on the theme being hidden potential. Really, Georgine, that um, the Lord just unfolded that through His Spirit. And it's not something that anybody wants to write about. Hey, look, I failed. Let me tell you about it. Hey, <laughs> let me just show you all the ways that I fall. You know, I have faults and I let my my mouth get away from me or my temper get away from me. Some of the things that I share in the book. And, and here are my fears um, and here are my frailties, the weakest parts of me. But I think what happens with um, authors who really follow the Spirit's leading is they write about things that they themselves struggle with so that we can identify with our readers because we all struggle with these fears, faults, failures, and frailties. And the idea of am I good enough or what do I have to do to be good enough to be used in the story, the greater narrative, the mega narrative that God is writing. She's good enough. She's got it. What do I need to do? And we compare. And when you were talking about hidden in plain sight, our potential is hidden in plain sight because we're too busy looking at other people rather than allowing God to say, hey, look in the mirror. Yes, you may have these fears, faults, failures, and frailties, but that's not what I see. I see you covered by the blood of Christ. I see you as holy because I've made you holy now. Let's use what you have to for your good and my glory. And if that's the way we would look at things, we would allow God to show us our stories would be written with a lot more uh, exclamation points. How about that? Mm, yeah, I love that. I think so, so often we look at others and we think, oh, they are so articulate. They're attractive. They got mm-hmm. a meaningful ministry. And that's what I want to be. And so we we sort of try to insert ourselves into someone else's gifting and fail to see the unique place God has carved out for us in the kingdom of God and the story that he, as you put it, uh, the story that he's writing for us. And we can be so easily distracted. And of course, our enemy would love nothing more than for us to compare ourselves to one another oh, so that right. we never fully right. walk in what God is, has uh, called us to do. Right. Absolutely. And and that's what he wants us to do. He, uh, he knows that he can't steal our salvation, but he wants to rob us of anything else that could be used to advance the gospel. And um, he paralyzes us with fear and, and with with reminds us of our weaknesses by constantly navigating situations that shows us our weaknesses. And, and 
we can look at that in two different ways. We can say, yeah, I'm weak in that way, but because I'm weak, God is strong in me. Or we can say, yes, I'm weak. I can't do that. And we could just say, let's move, move on to that next person. Um, and we miss, we miss the glory of God's story in our life when we mm-hmm. do that. Yeah, yeah. Now, why do you think so many of us, and I'm speaking of women, miss our hidden potential when God has given every one of us a role to play in the unfolding of his purpose and plan? For me, I can speak for myself. I, I allowed a false narrative, a negative narrative, to play out and direct my life, to determine what I believed about myself, but also direct what I felt like I could, in my own strength, um, achieve. Uh, I tell the story in the book about wanting to play, being a really good softball player. I mean, I really could throw a pitch. I, I, I could. I, I, I knew it, not conceited-wise, but I knew I had a gift. But I only tried out, I only went out for the church team because it was the no-cut team. You see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. I, I believe just enough that I could, I could do this, but I wasn't willing to take that risk to go and try out for something that I could be cut for because I didn't believe any further than, okay, this is all that I'm good enough for. I'm not good enough to wear a jersey of my, you know, high school alma mater. Um, so I believe for me, I just, I, I listened to that negative narrative that shaped my life for so long, even into my adulthood. And I even have to silence that narrative with truth as a 52-year-old woman in ministry who somebody would look at and say, oh, wow, she is so accomplished. She's written three books. But even I have to fight that negative narrative by saying, wait a minute. Yes, look at what she's doing. Um, Oh, wow, I want to do that in ministry, but I could never do that because X, Y, Z. And then I have to stop myself and say, wait a minute. Everybody has a story, and that's her story, and God has a story for me that doesn't include the story for her. He needs me to do my story Mm -hmm. and her to do her story and her to do her story and them to do their story. So I believe we allow the fears, faults, failures, and frailties to shape us and to direct where we're going and determine what we think of ourselves. We allow all of those negative things to script our lives rather than the truth of God's word to script our lives. Yes. We're going to continue our conversation, but I do need to take a quick break. Again, we're talking with Wendy Pope. She's a speaker with Psalm 31 Ministries and contributes to their online devotional encouragement for today. And she's the author of Hidden Potential. This is a great book, uh, Revealing What God Can Do Through You. Yeah, you, you. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show Podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with Wendy Pope. She is the author of Hidden Potential, Revealing What God Can Do Through You. And I so appreciate how vulnerable and open you are in the book about yourself, because I do tend to think that we put authors and women who teach on a pedestal, and you remind us that we all struggle with things in common, but that God can use us, that every one of us has uh, potential. So I appreciate the approach that you've taken. I also wanted to mention that the, the book includes discussion, reflection, Bible study questions, which is good for personal study and for small group study as well. How do you see this book best being 
um, used to help draw us out and to recognize I have potential that God has placed in me. Oh, for sure. Um, it's perfect for individual study and for individual um, reading and application, but I feel like it's best in a small group setting uh, because we are more likely to share some of our vulnerabilities in a small group setting. And also, what I love about a small group is you've got a support group around you. Mm-hmm. And so when the, the, the hard things come out, when we are vulnerable enough to let it out, you've got a support around you, building you up and encouraging you. And so I, I love the idea of, you know, five to six women getting around, um, you know, uh, at a lunch table over uh, at lunch during work or in a home or a coffee shop in the evening, just going over the truths of the book and discussing, having the discussion questions. Uh, and, and right now, of course, we can't do that, but you certainly could do that on a Zoom, Zoom meeting. Yes. People are getting experts on Zoom and FaceTiming. <laughs> um, you could certainly even do this study now um, and read and share with a couple people on a, on a FaceTime or on a Skype or on a Zoom meeting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now with a password, from what I understand. Now you include um, your story, but certainly the stories of other women, both contemporary and ancient. Um, I appreciated your including both because it gives us a sense that, you know, we haven't really changed all that much in terms of the things that uh, that challenge us. But um, right, talk a little bit about how these women can help us better understand our own situation and how God is calling us and has already given us potential for purpose. Well, for sure, it makes us know that we're not alone. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the friends that shared their stories in the book are friends that shared and risked, you know, sharing the hardest parts of them, the weakest parts of them, the most vulnerable parts of them, so that other women would know they're not the only one that lives with fear, but still it can be faithful. They're not the only one who has a frailty like um, my friend Meg that never went to school. She never graduated from school. And certainly the world would tell her she could not accomplish anything because she didn't even have a high school degree. But she has surrendered that to God and said, just use me however. And she walks in the fullness of God's story for her life. However, she still has the frailty. She can't go back and fix that right now in her life. And so that's what I love, the fact that the women that shared their stories in the book, they didn't overcome them. They still live with their fear, their faults, their failures, and their frailty, just like Moses did. Mm -hmm. It never says in Scripture that God took away his speech problem. Never. It's just all of a sudden you see when you read the narrative that's written Aaron's talking to Pharaoh, and then all of a sudden, Moses speaks. And then, wow, does he speak. And then, okay, no longer do you hear from Aaron. You're only hearing from Moses. It took a little while for him to get that confidence. He may still have had that stutter, if that's indeed what he had. We don't know that God took it away. We don't know that he didn't. But we know in Scripture it doesn't say, and Moses was healed by God, and he could now talk confidently like a true leader that would be worthy to lead God's people out of, Israel, uh, out of Egypt. You don't see all that. You see his evidence of his anger throughout the Exodus. It's there. That, that fault is still there. 
that he is still continuing to follow God, listen to God, and obey God. And that's what these women represent. I didn't want it to just be my story. I wanted it to be a story where every woman could relate. That's why I chose the, well, God did. He chose the ones that he wanted to um, represent different seasons of life and different areas um, of the potential that God can see in us. Yeah. Now, Moses was the ancient I made reference to earlier, not a woman. But um, it's interesting that you uh-huh. you make the point that Moses, we don't know that Moses um, lost the, the frailty that made him a reluctant servant in the first place. We tend to think as soon as I take care of this area of weakness, as soon as this fault is resolved, as soon as this um, fear is overcome, then I can be useful for God. But what you're pointing out through the example of Moses is he's calling us just where we are at, at this point with all that stuff that we bring with us. Absolutely. He, he part of, and that's one of the things that I learned really studying his story, but also, you know, allowing the scripture and the story and the spirit to speak as I wrote the book is God doesn't necessarily want to quote unquote fix all the things that we think are wrong with us. He wants to use us just the way that we are, and he wants us to come to him just the way that we are. I think of the old hymn, Just As I Am, without one plea, just just as I am. I'm coming to him and trusting him to make the best of what I have to offer, and he does that. He does that. He might not do it right away. I mean, look at what it took a long time for Moses to develop into the leader that he was, and we have to be willing to work with the Spirit, allow the Spirit to work with us, and give God time to work in our lives. And we don't live in a world that, we live in a world that says, hurry up, do it right now. But that's not the economy that God works on. Yeah. Now, what are some of the key conversations that women could have with one another to encourage each other in their vulnerabilities and weakness, uh, and at the same time, invite compassion and listening when women come together, because we tend to want to hide those areas that we're least proud of. Right. Well, I think the first thing that we as women have to do is be willing to have that honest conversation. And the first person that we need to have that honest conversation with, honestly, is ourselves. Mm-hmm. We need to be willing to say, you know what, this is a struggle that I'm dealing with. And and then be willing to share that with someone else. That That's the hardest part because, especially in a church setting, and, and I love church Bible studies. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I love leading. I just finished leading a Bible study at my church, and I love that, and I love being in the house of God. But there's something about being in the warmth and coziness of somebody's den or in a coffee shop sitting outside on a patio. Um, there's something about that that's conducive for um, for being vulnerable. Sometimes when we're in church, we have our church face on and our church clothes on and our church mm-hmm. aura about ourselves. But when we are away from the building, so to speak, um, we tend to be a little bit more vulnerable. So that's what, that's what I would recommend is first having an honest conversation with yourself and really ex- allowing the Holy Spirit to examine you and allow, just examine yourself. And, and what are your, and, and write those down. What are your fears? What are your faults? What are your frailties? Um, what are your failures? And be willing to admit those to yourself and then pray and ask God for, for a group of people to share and hold you accountable. 
that's another thing, too, is to have a group that is going to hold you accountable, not only build you up and encourage you, hey, you can do this, I understand, I, I have the same struggles, or I have a similar struggle, that that me too kind of idea, but then also we want good Christian women, godly women, who are going to hold us accountable for thinking the right way. All right, we've, we've discovered mm-hmm. scripture, we know what's going to derail this negative train and put us back on the track of positivity and truth. So how are you doing with that? And and maybe have a text group and encourage one another that way um, and hold each other accountable that way. And, and as I said, if it means meeting at a place that's not a church building, that is more conducive at times for that vulner- those vulnerable conversations. Yeah, we're just about out of time, but I wanted to give you a moment to talk about what it means for God to show his power through the fractured parts of our lives, because we have a hard time imagining that he can use us in that condition. And yet he demonstrates his power in some pretty significant ways under that scenario. Oh, for sure. And 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 I hate I don't want to the first example that I thought of was my was my own life. And so I'm certainly not tooting my horn. I am shouting out to God is my whole insecurity. I am an introvert. I have, I'm an insecure person. I grew up feeling less than, and I remember, I remember things that were said to me as a fourth and fifth grader that, that insulted me, that put me down. And I I remember those things now Mm -hmm. as a grown adult and shattered that confidence. And that little girl would, knew she could pitch and she could probably pitch better than that girl out on the mound or just as good, but was scared to try out. I was scared. I was, I was afraid of rejection. I was afraid of failing. I was afraid of people making fun of me. So the fact that I've had the opportunity to work in partnership with God to put out not one, not two, but three books. Again, I'm not bragging on me. I'm bragging on God and then have the opportunity to speak to you and many other media outlets and to go around the country and speak in front of people is the biggest transformation and the example of God using the weakest parts of us for his glory. Because this is not me. I am a no makeup, give me baggy shirt, give me some baggy leggings and Leave me at home with my dog and my people. <laughs> don't put me on an airplane and don't fix me all frilled up and everything like that and put me on the stage. That's not me. That's God in me. Me wants to stay home and me, I don't want to risk it. I don't want to ride it. I don't want to try it. But God in me says, yes, this is what I'm calling you to. And because I trusted him with that very first message that he wrote on my heart many years ago when I started speaking, and he proved himself faithful, I now have a memory bank of faithfulness. And I know he's calling me to it. He's going to get me through it. And I live by that motto. And and I'm no different than anybody else. You have the same story to tell, I'm sure, because God's worked in your life and done things in ministry in your life that you never thought possible. That's Everybody right. has a story to share. Um, and if you don't have a story to share yet, there's a story in you waiting to be shared. Amen. Well, the book, once again, is Hidden Potential, Revealing What God Can Do Through You. Wendy Pope, it is always a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment to wrap things up. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Wanted to give you some late breaking news. Governor Inslee of the state of Washington has now announced that schools there will be out for the remainder of the academic school year. So schools will be closed throughout this academic school year in the state of Washington. Uh, my heart just aches for seniors and those who are anticipating graduation ceremonies and proms and all of the things you associate uh, with that season of life. But uh, because we're talking about a matter of life and death, this is the decision made by the governor of the state of Washington. wanted to remind you that tomorrow night and for the foreseeable future, Keith and Kristen uh, Getty are planning to do a family hymn sing on Facebook. They're live streaming with fans on Tuesday nights. Um, at 5.15 Pacific time, uh, they're going to engage in worship. They're going to perform well-known uh, modern hymns from Nashville, Tennessee, share their uh, light to homes around the world. And the duo plans to continue every Tuesday for the foreseeable future. Their focus uh, will be on uh, singing hymns. You can join them on their Facebook page uh, or you can uh, uh, find them. Um, they're, well, I should say they're live streaming, so that would be the the way to do that. So Getty Music, they recently released a new single and they'll be featuring that as well. So if you're looking for something for you and your family to do, 5.15 uh, Tuesday evenings for the foreseeable future, hymns with the Gettys. Well, as 93% of churches here in the U.S. are holding online-only services due to the new uh, coronavirus outbreak, the majority of the congregations will celebrate um, Resurrection Day digitally, according to two studies. 99% of churches held services on their campuses on the first weekend of March. Only 7% did so by the 29th of March. That's according to a Nashville-based Lifeway Research Gathering for worship as a local church is a fundamental expression of the body of Christ, but so are valuing life and loving others. The executive director points out, as mitigation guidance first impacted large churches, the majority of churches with 200 or more attendees were not meeting by the 15th of March, and only 1% of them met the 22nd as guidance continued to shift. Well, as next weekend is Easter, 58% of pastors say they plan to hold a digital service with 45% sharing plans to live stream online and another 13% recording an Easter message to send out to their congregants. It's according to the State of the Church report by Barna. Now, as for the Rices, my sister Donna Stutzman, Dan Rice and I, we made our way up to Eagle, what is it, Eagle Point. Yeah, Eagle Peak, no, Bald Peak. <laughs> I knew it had something to do with Bald Eagle, um, Bald Peak, and we uh, prepared for a Easter sunrise service. I'll put the details on the Facebook page when we have them. Um, beautiful setting, but this is a tradition that they have had for decades, and this will be the first time since they began a collection of churches in the uh, Bald Peak area had come together for an Easter sunrise service. Well, there's going to be one, but it'll be online, and that's the case for most churches around the area. So next weekend is Easter weekend. 58% of pastors say they plan to hold digital services. Now, not all churches are capable of that, but many are. 20% admit that there is no plan uh, in place yet. 10% say that they're going to hold an outdoor service. 5% hope to find another unique way to convene. 2% say that they'll meet as uh, usual this Easter. The study said, uh, adding that 5% plan to postpone their Easter celebration for the time being. Well, as... Um, if you're a pastor, you have a certain way you preach or approach the Easter message. You can anticipate people in the congregation who otherwise 
uh, would not um, be a part of the congregation. It's important for you to do your best to bring who you are to the message, says another pastor and innovation leader at Life Church and founder of Uversion Bible app in a recent Church Pulse weekly broadcast. It's great if you can uh, have some level of uh, worship incorporated in it as well. It doesn't have to be the same type of experience as you would in a physical environment. So whatever that looks like, people are relatively forgiving right now. Incorporate some aspect of worship into what's being built for Easter. And as I mentioned earlier, the uh, sale of Bibles has escalated. Last week I mentioned that people are praying more fervently. People are looking up Google search and other search engines and looking up prayer they are open and interested, and what a tremendous opportunity for the church uh, expressing itself in a worship service, but also the church expressing itself through individuals extending the love of Christ during um, during this season. Mr. Groomwald encouraged smaller churches to build some type of a video experience as there's sufficient time and smartphones can also record good video. It's amazing to me what you can do on a smartphone. You don't have to be sophisticated You just have to have the technology, turn the camera, the video camera on, sit down and um, and speak. Lifeway found that while 41 percent of Protestant pastors last fall didn't provide any video content for their congregation. Of course, they were meeting together. Ninety two percent of church leaders provided video sermons or worship services online in March. So this is a significant shift in the way. We're connecting with the broader culture. The rapid adoption of providing video content has been just as abrupt as ceasing in-person meetings. Uh, The LifeWay study pointed out churches who never would have considered offering a streaming or video option have quickly done so. Their pastors were compelled to stay connected and to continue to provide spiritual guidance during this trying time. Well, church members are also responding to the crisis. LifeWay found that 87% of pastors witnessed church attendees help each other with tangible needs. 59% saw members meet coronavirus-related needs within the community. And more than half said at least an attendee, at least one, was able to share the gospel through this time. The restrictions in place due to COVID-19 have impacted members' income as well. As a result, half of the pastors said giving had decreased LifeWay says uh, that could be due in part to many churches' hesitancy to adopt online giving. And as of Sunday, this past, there are more than 1.2 million confirmed cases of COVID-19 um, uh, disease uh, um, around the world. 68,413 people have died, uh, according to Johns Hopkins University. In the United States, the number of uh, cases stood at 331,151 and 8,400 um, deaths, and that number is changing all the time, so it may be an undercount at this point. In any event, this is Holy Week, and it is a season in general when people are more mindful of spiritual things and might be more open to conversations about Jesus. Uh, but it's also an opportunity for us to reflect on the tremendous grace we have received, we have inherited in Christ, His grace through faith in Christ alone. Uh, just an amazing, uh, amazing gift. So I hope that we're not, not only um, enriched by our study of the scriptures and our times of worship and prayer and reflections on uh, what Christ has done for us, but that we are prepared in creative and unusual ways. Drop something in a mailbox at your neighbor's house. Uh, sing a hymn out of your back window, uh, Easter sunrise morning. Uh, do something to make sure that someone else has the opportunity to know that Christ not only loves them, but has made the ultimate sacrifice so that they can have a relationship with God through him. All right, we're going to 
Well, I guess we're going to take about a 22-hour break. <laughs> I want to thank James Blind for producing, Clark Hilton for engineering. Thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. I hope you'll join us here tomorrow. We are going to talk with um, Jonathan Catherman, Guiding the Next Generation, Rethinking How Teens Become Confident and Capable Adults. That's uh, tomorrow right here on the Georgine Rice Show. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.